great to be with you. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin. This is the Jewish Growth Podcast. And this past week, Netflix released a new series called Jewish Matchmaking. This reality show follows matchmaker Eliza Ben Shalom as she sources spouses for Jewish singles from a range of religious backgrounds. There have been contentious series from Netflix in the Orthodox community, so this release was highly anticipated in some circles. And I don't own a Netflix subscription, so I'm obviously not qualified to critique the show. But there were a range of reactions, including one person I know who said it was a, a Kiddush Hashem. On the other hand, Benjamin Cohen, who writes to the forward, had a less positive take on this Netflix show. And what interested me about Cohen's review was what he perceived as a deficit of the film. As Cohen sees it, the show had the potential to teach outsiders about Judaism and miss that opportunity. Scores of traditions, Jewish traditions, are mentioned or shown, says Cohen, and they're not explained. When a man kisses a mezuzah, non-Jewish viewers are left to wonder why. There is no explanation for why Jewish singles go to such great lengths to date Jewish or to date Orthodox. And I would add that when you witness Jewish life without contextual understanding, you're likely to miss its meaning. Jewish dating really is a great vehicle to think about Jewishness because it begs the question, why are there so many Jews, Orthodox in particular, who go to such great lengths to find a Jewish religiously observant spouse or match? I'd like to share an answer to this question. But before doing so, I think it's important to think about the contexts that shape our lives as Jews. One major context of our life is the Jewish calendar. From the days of awe to Pesach to Hanukkah, the three weeks in the summer, to every Shabbos, our lives are shaped by the cycle of Jewish holidays. But what do we do in these festivals? Where does it all come from? As I'm recording, we're about to read Parshas Emor, which includes all of the Chagim, or festivals. The Torah says, for example, that Yom Kippur is a day of Inui, affliction, Rosh Hashanah, a Yom Teruah, a day of blasts. What is a day of affliction? What is a day of blasts? On Sukkot, the Torah says, we shake a pre-eights Hadar, the fruit of a beautiful tree. Well, what beautiful tree are we talking about? Is it a grapefruit? An orange? We also learn that we're meant to bring a barley offering around Pesach and then count 49 days before observing another holiday. What's that holiday about? The verses don't seem to say the answer. We read about the Chagim in the written Torah, but there's another major component of Torah, another major component of t- context known as the Torah Shabal Peh, the Oral Torah. We can think of Oral Torah as a Masorah, a received tradition handed midor lador from generation to generation. The mission in Pirkei Avos, in fact, begins with these words, Moshe kibal Torah Masinai umasara li Yehoshua. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai and transmitted it to Yehoshua. That's a major key to understanding Judaism. The way that we decipher or translate any verse in the Torah is based on our Masorah or received tradition. Consequently, all that we do as Jews is shaped by this larger context of written and oral Torah. Counting the Omer is a classic example. Emmer begins to outline the Moadim, the festival, starting with Pesach. And then the Torah instructs us to bring the barley 
Omer offering and begin counting the days until a shtehalechem, a double wheat bread offering, is brought 50 days later. When do we start counting these 49 days exactly? The answer, Torah says, is Mimacharat Shabbat on the day after the Sabbath. That's an interesting phrase. What exactly does Macharat HaShabbat refer to? It sounds like after Sabbath, after Shabbos. But our tradition tells us that Macharat HaShabbat is Macharas Yom Tov, the day after Pesach. And so the Sabbath in question is not Shabbos as we know it, but rather Passover. It's just called Shabbat. That's a roundabout way of referring to Pesach. In fact, the Tzedukim, a second temple group who denied the validity of our oral Torah, interpreted the verse as referring to Saturday. And in their custom, you would have the, uh, you would have Pesach, wait for Shabbos, and then only after Shabbos would you begin to count the Omer. Now, in practice, we follow our sages and we count the Omer on the second night of Pesach. We don't wait for Saturday night after the Seder. But why do we refer to the day after Pesach as Macharat Shabbat, the day after Shabbos? Okay, Pesach is sort of like a Sabbath in that we don't work other than cooking. But still, the Torah could have said on the day after Chag, on the day after festival. And the Maharal of Prague addresses this issue. He asserts that the nature of a Sabbath is to cease activity and begin counting anew. On a regular Shabbos, we stop from the six days of the week, we rest, and that starts a new cycle of counting again. Here is how the Maharal puts it. The verse called Pesach Shabbat, Ki hayom tov gam kein Shabbos, bo shvisa, because the Yom Tov is also a Sabbath, because it contains Shavita, ceasing. And here it was referred to as a Sabbath, because Shabbos starts accounting a minion for when you have Shabbos on the next day, you begin counting the days of the week. So on a regular Sabbath, we stop working, we cease, and we start counting our weekdays once again. And in a sense, Pesach is a Sabbath. We end the winter. We begin counting the days anew towards the holiday of Shavuos. Our translation of Maharata Shabbat then is the morrow or day after the Sabbath of Pesach. And from there we begin counting the days as we look towards that sixth day of Sivan, Shavuot, when the Torah was received. And so the very act of counting from the 16th day of Nisan to the 6th of Sivan is based on this translation, this context of Masorah, our received translation of the Torah. So whether it's a day of affliction, as in fasting, a day of blasts, as in shofar, how we count the Omer, Jewish life is defined by the teachings that we receive from previous generations. Likewise, the verse in Mishle teaches us, Al titosh Torah simacha, do not forsake the Torah of your mother. And the rabbis explain that our mother, in this context, refers to the Jewish people. We are to not deviate from the Torah that we receive from previous generations. And this approach has truly kept us as one people through thousands of years of exile. When Jewish communities came from all over the globe to Israel in 1948, they still shared the same religion, 
a Polish Jew could walk into a Yemenite shul and hear the very same Torah read from the very same scrolls that they had in their shul. Still, why is our Masorah, our received tradition, so important? An answer can be seen in Ashrei, where we declare, Gadol Hashem God is great and greatly praised, and there is no comprehending His greatness. But if we cannot comprehend God's greatness, how then do we praise God? Rav Salvechik says that the answer lies in the very next verse of Ashrei, from generation to generation, they praise your deeds and they recount your great acts. How is it that we praise God if the Almighty is beyond our understanding? The answer is, from generation to generation, we praise your deeds. Though God is beyond our grasp, we worship God through the Masorah, the received tradition that we have received. And this template of worship is what many people seek today. Young people seeking to start a family see the richness that comes from Jewish life for their potential families. They're drawn to the idea they can build a meaningful life based on this great heritage. The context for Jewish lives is this Masorah, our received tradition. In fact, on a personal note, this is an important way to frame some steps we've been taking at our shul here, B'nai Israel and Manalp in New Jersey, as we recently install, reinstalled our Mechitza. What is the message of Mechitza? On one level, Rosalvechik writes that we're meant to be in awe of God's sanctuary. Mechitza, or separation between men and women during tefillah, is a posture of seriousness and awe of the services. Now, during Kiddush, we can have more lightheartedness. But tefillah, davening, in a sanctuary, is meant to be a weighty experience. There's a seriousness, a focus and dialogue with God that is expressed in shul through mechitza. But there's also more to this picture, because mechitza is also our masorah, our tradition. The model of mechitza shul is deeply ingrained in Torah Simecha, the Torah of our mother, the Jewish people. And that is true around the world. Moroccan or Polish, Syrian or Persian, South African, Israeli, modern Orthodox or Hasidic, Mechitza is a universal feature of the global Orthodox community. And Mechitza is popular amongst the younger generation. It's not that young Jews don't mind Mechitza. They commonly seek Mechitza. They commonly seek out shoals that have this rich Masorah of davening. Why do young Jews sacrifice so much for Judaism? For example, to look for a soulmate who is religiously observant. Why are so many Orthodox Jews, excuse me, souls filled with young people? The answer has to do with those who are passionate about Jewish life. The people who are most passionate tend to be attuned to the idea that the Jewish people represent an ancient form of wisdom that guides us to stand before God in every generation. And that's truly a gift the Jewish people have given to the world. Many people today seek out the richness of Dora Ladora, the idea that our heritage from previous generations guides us in important ways. That's the context of this Masorah, this great tradition so many people thirst for. And so wherever you are, as you approach the Chagim or Davening or any Mitzvah, consider your Judaism 
in light of this Taurus Imacha, this great heritage. Although the Almighty Creator is truly beyond our comprehension, everything that we do in avoda and worship is understood in this context. We praise God door to door from generation to generation, from millennia ago until our very day. Thanks for being with me. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast.